Growing up in Redfern, Gavin Badger concedes he was a little lost. That was until he made a life-changing discovery as a teen. Learning about his Indigenous heritage gave Gavin purpose and helped to put him on a path to becoming one of the NRL's most likeable and long-serving match officials. I was lucky enough to catch up with a man known as Badge ahead of one of his favourite weekends on the Rugby League calendar, Indigenous Round. Gavin, what does it mean to you uh, to be an Indigenous Australian? Um, it, it means a lot. It means that you know, there's a relationship between me, my family, and, and the beginning of this country, you know, the beginning of time, and, and all, all that goes with that, you know, the pride, um, the culture, you know, so, yeah, it, it, it means a lot. You mentioned that word pride, but have you always been proud to be an Indigenous Australian? Um, it, it's a funny story, uh, my story around that, because um, for a lot of my, my childhood, I didn't know. Um, I've never met my father, so it was through a, a chance meeting with my grandmother and, and her going through some stuff with me and showing me photos and showing me her family that um, that yeah, it came to me that I wasn't Indigenous Australian. And it's so funny when I tell the story that all through school and, and growing up, you know, I sort of always lent that way of all my friends at school and, and you know, all the people that I surrounded myself with were Indigenous Australians. So it sort of made sense to me once once that was sort of brought forward and, and I knew where I was and who I was. How old were you at that point? Uh, I was probably about 14, I think. It was 13, 14. So I sort of just into those early years at high school. So, um, yeah, it was... I was excited by it, actually. It, it actually meant, like... I, I felt like it meant something. I felt like, it, you know, that, that was that missing part. So, yeah, it was, it was quite exciting. Did you feel that at that point you found your identity of who you actually were? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I didn't have the greatest childhood and stuff like that, but um, to be able to sort of find a little bit of myself and who I was, it's, um, yeah, it was something that gave me, yeah, it, it sort of led me into a certain direction, yeah. How important was that discovery? Um, really important. Like I said, I, I'd never, never met my father and I never met my family from that side, so... You know, I was sort of in a point where I, I wasn't really sure who I was. And, um, yeah, that, like I said, it gave me, it gave me substance, you know, and an and understanding of why and who I was. Do you feel like uh, in your conversations with other Indigenous Australians that that was a common theme or is a common theme, that people don't really know too much about their story from their ancestors? But there's a lot, and there's a lot um, when it comes down to Stolen Generation as well. A lot of my friends, um, you know, have family members that were part of the Stolen Generation, so they didn't get you know, to know who their family was or where their family came from. So, same thing, they lost of, you know, a, a loss of identity um, or, or not knowing your identity and, you know, that's a horrible, horrible thing, not knowing who you are, where you come from and, you know, what blood runs through your veins. So, yeah. So, how proud are you to sit here today in the year that's 2020 and identify yourself as an Indigenous male? Oh, really proud. Um, I've said it a couple of times and I have this small little soapbox of being, you know, it's someone who's, you know, on TV a little bit and, and has a little bit of a profile where I can, you know, voice my opinions on things and, and, and tell people what I see and how I see it coming from, you know, an Indigenous man that doesn't look on uh, that way as well. So I get to see society, both sides of society, if, if you look at that. So, um, yeah, and it makes me... Pr I, I'm, really, I'm a really proud Indigenous Australian. You debuted in the NRL back in the early 2000s. I won't reveal the, <laughs> Long time ago. the exact year, but back in 2009, the NRL introduced Close the Gap Round. It's now the Indigenous Round. How important is it for the game to celebrate and have a dedicated round, a unique round, to celebrate the culture and everything that is Indigenous Australia? Yeah, it's vitally important. Um, Indigenous Australians have played a massive part in rugby league for a long time, and 
it, it's something that, you know, sport in general, but rugby league for, for me and for, for a lot of people I know, is, it's, it's, it, it gives you a bit of purpose as well. It gives you something to, to really look forward to. And not, and not only um, in the fortunate position I am to be involved in it, but also as a kid growing up as a fan. You know, I remember sitting on the hill at Redfern Oval or Leichhardt Oval and watching, you know, some of the... You know, Grew up watching Larry Coral play and was so proud, you know, watching watching him play and loved the way he played rugby league. And then, you know, you know the many Indigenous players that come, you know, through the systems and to recognise and acknowledge our culture um, from a sport that you love, you know, and, and for now a sport that I'm involved in and I work in. It, it, you know, I'm very proud to call myself an NRL referee and be, you know, say that I'm employed by the NRL, um, knowing that you know all the efforts that they put into embracing Indigenous culture. Did that plant the seed for you to want to be go, go on and, and become a referee? Um, or was it you wanted to be a player first and then, yeah, like a lot of us, we no, don't make it? I, I, yeah, I, th I think most people think that they can play the game before they become referees and the ones that can't play become referees, I think, is a fair bit of it. And that was definitely my journey. I, um, I, love, I started playing football when I was three years old and I absolutely love the game. It's, it's my favourite thing in the world. Um, and, and I'd say that even if I wasn't involved. Um, so played, started when I was three, um, thought I was a good player, thought that I was going to you know, do something with that, but got found out real quick that I couldn't play um, and fell into refereeing, got lucky that one of my ex-coaches um, sort of grabbed me one day and said, this is something that you may enjoy and it took him a while because I really didn't like referees when I played. Um, but when I went and did the course and I remember, I still remember the first game I ever refereed, it was in the Sixers game at um, Piney Park down the back of uh, Malabar and it cold, raining. Uh, but I loved it. It's like I, I, I just fell in love with it straight away. Um, I don't know what it was about it. Oh, well, I sort of do. I, there was a structure behind it and there was people that I was trying to impress and there was a little bit of, you know, from the people that were coaching me and stuff at, at that level, you know, you wanted to, to make them happy and do the right thing by them and I could see that they were trying to put time into me to make me better. So, yeah, fell in love with it and it's the best thing I've ever done. When you look back to that first game you refereed, if I'd have told you you'd be sitting here today and you would have officiated uh, 354 games in the middle, what would you have said? Oh, that, that's that's unbelievable. Like, to just to do one, just to get on the field, you know, just to be on that field um, in an NRL game is it's an amazing experience. Just just in any capacity, whether you're you know running a water, whether you'd be holding up cards on the sideline in any capacity, but be out there in the middle. Um, to me, I, I always say it's the second best job in the world because I'd love to be a player. I would have loved to have you know, had the ability and the talent to do that. Um, but to be out, out there and you know, uh, getting paid for, for something that, you know, don't tell the bosses, but something I'd do for nothing um, and be able to do it for so long, um, yeah, it's, it, it is, it's, it's unbelievable. You mentioned the players there. Why do the players love Gavin Badger so much? <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to ask them. I don't, I don't know if too many of them do. Um, yeah, I just don't take myself seriously. Um, end of the day, you know, I, I run up and down, I blow a whistle, you know, if something happens. And if not, I get to watch the best sport in the world from the best seat in the house. Uh, and I think, I, I hope that people see that I appreciate that, the privileged position I'm in. Um, and maybe that comes across, you know. Yeah, I just don't take myself too seriously and, and I like to have a laugh. Why does rugby league mean so much to Indigenous Australians? Um, it's probably a hard one because each individual would have an, an individual response to that question. Um, I know for me, it was it, it gave me, well, I, I, it, it's raised me. I think it's as cliche as that may seem. I started refereeing, well, I started playing when I was three, but I started refereeing around 18 years of old. So um, 
I sort of became a man through rugby league. You know, I learned a lot. Like I said, not having a father figure around, I learned a lot of who I am today has come out of rugby league. You know, the person I am today is, you know, cliched a bit maybe, but it, it is. It, it, it's, you know, my, my experiences through early days of refereeing and, and what I had to do to continue to, to turn up each week there and, you know, into being a full-time professional at it. You know, that, that has been my life since I was 18 years old. So um, it, it's a big part of who I am and it's, you know, it's going to be something that when my time is up, it's going to be really hard to replicate and, 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 and find something else to, to sort of chase around. But uh, for me, it, it, it gives me structure. You know, I wasn't a structured kid. I didn't have a lot of structure in my life, but, you know, refereeing and being involved in, in rugby league gave me structure. I had to be here, do this, and I had to hold myself in a certain way. You know, if I didn't hold my... I remember early days refereeing as well. I was a bit of a knockabout kid and having to bite my tongue and not respond back to either players or people as I was coming off the field was really hard as well. So I learned a lot about, you know, myself in that as well. So, yeah, very fortunate that I, I fell into it. I'm pretty sure you said in, in an interview that we did earlier this year that rugby league saved you. Yeah, no doubt. Do you think it saved a lot of people that were also in your position growing up doing it tough as an Indigenous Australian in the country? Uh, yes, and, and not even Indigenous people. People from you know, lower economic social status and stuff like that. It gives you, like I said, it gives you purpose and it gives you an out. And rugby league doesn't care where you come from. It doesn't care. You, you, you come from, if, if you, you know, work hard and, and you want to achieve something, rugby league will let you do it. You know, you see how many chances we give people as well in, in, as a game because that, that's what we are. And, yeah, I, and, and I think that's what gravitates people to it. I, I look at it very similar to boxing as well. You know, boxing's another sport but where, you know, people from any background can achieve what they want to achieve and, and, and the, the sport itself embraces that. And I think in rugby league we do that really well. How would you have gone as a boxer? Yeah, no good. Uh, no good. Uh, actually, it's something... Yeah, it's something I'd love to do. That, that's probably one of the biggest regrets I've got that I've never stepped in the ring and had a fight. You, you can still do it. Uh, post, yeah. post NRL referee. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how we go. There'll we'll be plenty of people out there that want to punch me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> this year's Indigenous round, does it take on extra significance given what we've seen around the globe with the Black Lives Matter movement, not only you know in the US but also here in Australia? Uh, yeah, definitely. And you know, one of the things with the restrictions that we're under now and COVID and that, um, it's, it's put restraints on people being able to voice their opinions and get out there. It's something I would have loved to have been able to go out and march and, you know, and voice my opinion and put my, myself out there as well. But um, with the restriction we're under, you know, that wasn't possible for us um, because we can't be out in public and stuff. But, um, and another it may sound like I'm, I'm continually you know, talking up the NRL here, but um, as a sport, it's something that was accepted pretty much straight away. And you saw players taking a knee before games when we come back to play and, and stuff like that. And... and and the, and the game itself in general sort of supported that movement and it's something that I'm proud you know, to say that you know, I'm, I'm employed by an employer that allows people to voice their opinion and have their say and it's something that you know, on social media and stuff that I'm pretty, pretty strong on as well, voicing my opinion on social issues and the game allows me to do that you know, as long as I don't cross any lines or, or, or say anything slanderous. Um, I'm allowed to have my opinions on, on, on where things should be and how I think things should be run. So, and the game allows the players to do that as well. So, yeah, the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, I think, is one of the you know, most important movements we've seen in a long time. So hopefully we can continue to, to press that and push that. You mentioned the players taking a knee. How did you feel and what was your initial reaction when you saw all players of all race take a knee? Back in round five. Yeah, and referees as well, which you know, made me even prouder that, you know, there's guys in our squad and um, 
early in the piece, Casey um, stood up in front of our squad and, and um, did a presentation to, to the group around the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and, you know, um, Indigenous incarceration and, and, and she spoke passionately about that and something that she's been involved in over the last couple of years and really been passionate about. And then to see guys from our squad get with the players and, and show their support as well. Um, yeah, it's sort of, it, it, it does bring a sense of pride and, you know, knowing that, you know, I, I, I can see that the f in the future that hopefully things will, will get better because you look at the, the younger generation and they're the ones that are going to have to make the change and, and we can see that happening. Not only have we seen yourself be outspoken about uh, a lot of social issues, but Indigenous players seem like within the game they're finding their voice. The likes of Cody Walker, the likes of Latrell Mitchell, Josh Adokar. How proud are you to see them embrace that, the fact that they are Indigenous and they are very proud about it? Yeah, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing that those young... They're, they're, and you've got to think, they're still young kids as well. You know, they're, they're, they're reasonably young kids that feel strong enough and feel supported enough by our game that they can do that. And I've got no doubt there's been players in the past that wanted to do that but wouldn't have had the same support um, and you know, may have lost their opportunity to, to make change because if they had spoken out. So it, it's been a big issue. The, the flip side to that is it shows, and we've seen on social media and it's been reported, that there is still racism in this country. You know, there are still people that want to attack those young kids for speaking up and standing up you know, and, and trying to do the best for their people, for, for our people, for this country's people. And you, know, you still get people want to jump on social media and attack a young kid for voicing opinion, for being proud of who he is. That, that's the most disappointing part of it. Until we sort of, we end that part of it, we, you know, we've still got a long way to go. The message around this year's campaign is that the NRL is built on respect and diversity because when it really counts, we won't be the ones dropping the ball. We want to pass backwards if we want to move forwards. We need to learn from history if we want to build a better future. NRL Indigenous Round, pass back move forward what does that passage mean to you yeah it, it, the start of everything is we have to, we, we can't forget what the past was and you you often hear people say oh when did you just need to get over it it happened back then no one alive now had anything to do with that move on we can just you know why can't we just move on and forget about it but you need to think that i sp spoke earlier about stolen generation that was only one generation ago so that people are still living and feeling that pain you know, there are people that you know, don't know their grandparents because they, you know, they were taken away. There are people that don't know their family bloodlines because it was taken away from them. It wasn't lost, it, wasn't, it was taken from them. It was stolen from them. So until we can you know, look back and f forgive and recognise what the, uh, the, the past was and the, and the pain that people felt in the past, you can't heal that pain. So by, by the, you know, the notion of that we need to pass back to go forward, it's exactly right. You know, you know, I can sit here and talk on many things. You look at, you know, the date of Australia Day, you know, and, and people say, well, it's just the date, why do, we, why do we bother? But there's a lot of connotations to that day that hurt Indigenous people. You know, that feel, they feel pain on that day, so they can't celebrate that day. We want to celebrate this country. Everyone loves this country, but just not on that day. So and, until we look back and say, why, why do people want change and what, what they want that change for, until we can look back on that, we can't move forward, so it's a great way to recognise the round. You had a unique journey coming through the ranks as an Indigenous man wanting to be a referee, especially as you got to the more elite level, but did you experience any racial vilification any time on I the didn't, field? Not, not, not myself personally. Like I said, um, I don't have that typical look of an Indigenous Australian, so um, I was 
for lack of a better word, fortunate around, I didn't receive it, but I heard a lot of it um, because people felt comfortable saying things around me because they didn't think that, you know, and as a young kid, especially coming through, you keep quiet, um, but I won't be keeping quiet anymore. That's one thing I've learned over the last couple of years um, that, you know, that you, you just can't keep quiet. You need to stand up for, for what you believe in, and if you don't, then you're sort of, you're accepting of that. So um, that's one thing I've, I've learnt you know, over the last couple of years is that, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to sit by and let people say things or do things or make jokes or, you know, and think that it's funny without stopping them, you know, and saying, you know what, you probably need to think a little bit better about how you're using words or what you're saying. So, um, yeah, that's that's probably my, my story with that stuff. Like, I never received it directly, but I saw a lot of indirect, especially as a younger kid playing, playing footy. When you look back at those days, does it does it eat you up oh, knowing definitely. some of the stuff you heard? Even, even it's not, and it's not even that long ago. There are times not that long ago where, and, and you know, where you hear a joke and you think it's funny and stuff, but then you think about it later and you go, you know what, that's probably not right. You know, and I wish I'd have said something back then because it's all about changing behaviour. And just because someone says something that can come across as racist doesn't mean they're a racist person. You know, it just means that they've said something that can come across as racist. And normal people, when you call that out and say you know what, that's probably not the right thing to say. You know, generally people go, oh, I didn't realise, sorry, and I'll change my behaviour, or I'll try not to, you know. It's um, when you continue to, to do those things or say those things or just, you know, or just um, disregard someone saying to you that, you know, maybe something you said or something you did say has racist um, overtones that you, you probably need to stop it. If they continue that, that's when you have the problem. One-offs here and there are, are easily fixed if you learn from your mistakes. So what's your message to anyone watching this that is out there that thinks it's still okay to racially abuse anyone? Yeah, it's not. That's, it's just not okay. It's just not, it's just not okay. And you've just got to understand that words really hurt people. Words have effect. You just never know someone's mental state at the time when you say something as well. And that could be the one thing that can push someone over the, over the edge, whether it be mental or... Mental. People just get fed up. You know? Eventually, you, if you hear it enough or people say this, you know, the same things enough... You just get fed up and at some point your line gets crossed and it shouldn't be on the person who's fed up to cross the line and then find themselves in trouble because they've overstepped a mark when, you know, because someone says some hurtful words. So we just, you just got to understand that, you know, words hurt. You know, some people say, oh, get over it, it's only words, but they hurt, especially when it's been hurting for, you know, centuries. And a lack of education isn't an excuse now? I don't think so, not anymore. We played that off for too, for too long in this country. And we just said, oh, well, we don't know, or he's just old school. You know, we get that a lot. Oh, he's just old school. He's got an old school mentality. He doesn't understand that that's racist. Well, you know what? We need to change that because otherwise it, you know, when, when is it not old school? You know, when, when is it time for change? You mentioned you didn't know too much about being an Indigenous man until your adolescent years. So what's your uh, nation? Where's the, what's the nation? Okay, so I'm, I'm born and raised as, as a Gadigal man, so in a city, Sydney, so I'm uh, Redfern, Waterloo. Um, but my descendants I've found in the part of uh, Dungadi, so Kempsey area. Um, I don't know too much family uh, uh, up that way or, or, or my Indigenous side, so it's something that going forward that I'm trying to sort of get, get more involved in and find out more about my culture and who I am. And you know, even for little things around diseases and stuff, I don't know what I'm susceptible to or what, you know, what's in the family history. So it's little things like that that I've got to start to, to look at. And, and the more I sort of look into it, the, you know, the, the more I learn about, you know, how people have been treated in this country for a long time. So um, as much joy is in it, there's a lot of sadness in it as well. 
how important do you think it is for all of us, non-Indigenous Australians as well, to, to find out what nation um, they're from and where they live and, and a bit about the, the culture from that area? Oh, I think it's vital. And I think like every t virtually every suburb and every city in this country has an Indigenous background and an Indigenous name. And I would love to see that both names be displayed whenever a, a name is put up. Um, because, this, like I said, it, you need to learn this country is a lot longer than the, you know, 1788. It's, it's a lot older than, you know, when, when this country was settled in 1788. So you need to learn what happened before that and the, and the story. There's so many amazing stories and, and so many amazing things to be proud of as this nation is one of the oldest living cultures in the world. It is the oldest living culture in the world. So that's something we should be really embracing and be proud of and, and something we should really be pushing out to everyone else and saying, look at us. How lucky are we? We've got this continually living culture that has evolved over so many years that is so great with so many stories to, to tell you know we need to jump on this and this should be what our heritage is it, it shouldn't be indigenous australian culture this is, should be australian culture this is what this country is built on so I, I think that should be our heritage not the you know the 1788 onwards you know i think then if people understand and learn that i think we'd have a better understanding of indigenous australians What's the most important thing you could say to a non-Indigenous Australian or the main lesson that you would pass on? Just learn. Speak to people. Like, hear the story, especially if you get the opportunity to sit down or have a conversation with an elder. Um, the, the stories and, and, and the folklore and, and, you know, and, and the traditions are just amazing. Um, I was fortunate enough last year um, to... We, we, we did a training camp in Coonabarabran, so we went to the Burrabidee Mission. In just out on the outskirts of, of um, Coonabarabran, and, and learning the stories out of that area, you know, was was, was something that you know our, our whole squad we still talk about it now. It's something I'll never forget meeting the, you know, s some elders of that area and and hearing their stories. We visited their their cemetery and they, you know, told us all the stories of the land there and and, and how how in you know as early ago as you know the mid 70s where they couldn't go into Coonabarabran. You know, from their mission after dark and stuff. You think about it, you know, when I was born. You know, I was born in 72. So, you know, in, in my lifetime, we've had instances where Indigenous Australians weren't free to, to roam around their own lands. So, you know, you learn those stories. And, and I know from, I know as fact that a lot of guys in our squad didn't understand that and didn't realise how close to their lifetime that stuff was. And, and they have a much greater understanding just by being educated and listening to a story. When the Indigenous around rolls around each year, do you get that little extra bit of excitement? Um, yeah, I do. I, um, I get excited every week. I, I love footy, but um, yeah, and, and it's, it's funny, even with the players, you know, being by myself out here, but the connection I have with the players as well, you know, it's just a little nod and it's just an, you know, an acknowledgement of, yeah, yeah. So that, 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 that makes me really proud that you know, there's even acknowledgement from the players on, you know, t towards myself as well about how important we all are to each other. Unfortunately, we won't see stadiums um, filled out for Indigenous Round this, this year uh, due to COVID. What impact has the whole COVID pandemic had on you, um, yeah. the referees? It, it's been tough, among also the changes in referees, reduction from two down to one. Yeah, there's been massive changes since um, we, we came back to playing footy. Uh, the, the biggest thing for, for us is making sure that everyone in the squad mentally is, is fine because you know, we've all been locked up. <laughs> Um, uh, and I know for me especially, I'm not someone who deals well with being in close spaces. I like to get out and, and run amok, for, for lack of a better word, to, to just get out and, and do stuff. Um, so we, we, we've been pretty good. Um, I reckon it's brought us together you know, as a group 
um, a lot closer and, and we sort of learn a lot more about each other just because we spend a bit more time together. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the biggest things that we've been making sure that we, we're checking in on each other and making sure everyone's sweet and, you know, mentally we're, we're doing okay. Um, with the, the change in direction of, of refereeing, so we had... Um, not only did we take a, a resource off the field, um, we also had a couple of new rules to deal with, and it shows, and I know people out there, you know, week to week think that we're pretty ordinary at what we do, um, but it shows how quickly and how we can adapt to stuff, because I think the footy has been outstanding, I think, and, you know, and, and the you know, people watching at home have loved what, what's been on show, and we take a, a little bit of the credit for that. The players obviously take 99% of it, but you know, if we don't get the game moving and flowing, if we don't sort of jump in where we have to and, and, and adjust to you know, a, a completely new rule and you know, a, a diff another resource off the field, we might not have the same product. So it's, it's really a credit to, to the squad um, of referees that we're so adaptive. We'll be able to, within a, a week virtually, we went from not knowing what we were doing on a Friday to you know, the next week we're out there doing the job and, and doing it really well. So. I don't know I'm going to say that, but um, I think most people who, you know, look at the game and, and, and watch the game away, not as a spectator of a certain club, um, would see that the game's officiated pretty good at the minute. No doubt you miss being out in the middle with the whistle, but how tough is that transition from being the referee, whether it's one or two of you, yeah. to going on the line? Um, yeah, for me, it's a lot tougher than most because I hadn't done it for the longest. I think it was 2006, the last time I'd done that. And same again, there'd be people out there go, oh, it's easy, just go out and stand up and on the sideline, put your flag up when the ball goes out and put it up when it goes between the posts. But there's a lot of technical stuff to it. And I found that out a couple of weeks ago at Parramatta Stadium with a pass that I, I sort of got in a, a, for a second I switched off and, and was half a step off the pace and wasn't in line for a pass and got a call wrong. That's how quick things can happen. And just because I, you know, just for one second I stopped and, and you know, you miss a forward pass and that's how easy it can happen. And... Yeah, there's, there's a lot of technicalities to, to running a touchline, you know, when you're given information and, and stuff like that. So it was a bit of a, um, yeah, it, it took probably two weeks, I reckon. Um, and in saying that, I think that's a pretty short time. And like I said about, I think that's the reason why um, the group of officials that are at the NRL level are up there is because we can adapt pretty quickly. And I think I've adapted. Okay. You'd have to probably ask the referees how well I go. Just on that exact example, though, out of Bankwest, did you cop an earful from the cardboard cutouts? Yeah, I was, I was lucky, yeah, there was no crowd. Oh, there was crowd on the other side, though. I copped, I copped a massive spray coming off. Um, rightly so in that one, because, yeah, you went, when, when, you, when you, you make an error like that, you, you know you're going to cop it. And I knew straight away. How's it been, though, with smaller crowds? It's worse. Because you hear every single word everyone says. Like, the big crowds, it's just a noise. It's generally just murmur, which you enjoy, like the, the rises and the ebbs and the flows of the crowd, depending on the home teams and stuff. Um, with minimal crowds, you hear every single word. And I've, so, I've, so I've learned a couple of new ones. So I've thought I'd heard all the sledges in the world, but there's been a couple of good ones over the last couple of weeks. Nothing you can repeat. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> you, you embrace it, though, if it's in all in good fun. Uh, it is there it is. is a line. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And it's so important, back to the, the whole... Um, I guess, issue of Indigenous round, it's important never to cross that line. Yeah, and it's not even Indigenous rounds. We've seen recently in the NRL, you know, words can hurt and certain, you know, and it's, it's, it, to me, it's all about respect. If, if you respect someone, you talk to them respectfully. So you don't use words that's going to hurt. Yes, you can be upset at a decision. Um, I'm upset at sometimes when players make mistakes because I just want the game to run. I don't have to make decisions, you know what I mean? But it is what it is. Um, no one's perfect. 
and I'm going to put my hand up and tell you we are going to make more mistakes this year. It's going to happen. Um, but yeah, just be respectful around it. You, know, you can have some banter. There's plenty of players on the field that have really good banter. Plenty of them. Um, and they're good at it. Who's the best? Uh, who's the best at the moment? Uh, Justin Hodges is retired. Yeah, Hodges is gone. I'll tell you who was it. Mick Ennis was the best. Um, and he was really good at it. And he wasn't disrespectful. And he knew the lines and he never crossed them. Um, and he always had you thinking. Like Mick Ennis was... I, I really enjoyed refereeing Mick Ennis because I knew I had to be on my toes. And if you weren't, he'd get you. He'd get you every time. Okay, Ennis the menace. That's why I had that nickname, right? I don't think he's a menace. I don't think he's really smart. Like, I'll, if, if I was a coach, I'd want him to do it. Uh, before I let you go, um, any crazy hairdos or uh, boots uh, this year? But the hairdo, the beard? It's a, it's, it, it has a little bit less impact on the sideline. <laughs> it, it doesn't get noticed as much. And I'm just, you know, I, I like to be noticed, I suppose. Um, now, I just, uh, for me, I just try to be a little bit different because I just want people to understand that referees, you know, we, we're just people that you know, are the same as everybody else. And... Um, I work in referee development, so I want kids to feel comfortable to become referees because there is that stigma attached to not only refereeing but officiating, you know, um, any official, you know, even police forces and stuff at the moment. You know, there is that negative stigma towards being part of that, and especially in Indigenous culture. You know, we, we, we don't tend to generate that towards, you know, those roles. So, you know, I know for me, refereeing and, and rugby league changed my life and, and, and has given me my life, everything, everything I've gotten. You know, all my successes and, and you know, all, all, everything has, has come through being involved in rugby league. So um, it's something that I really say to people, if there's an avenue here, even if you can't play the game, no matter you know, how bad you were as a footballer, there's an avenue here to come in and be you know, able to run out on ANZ Stadium and be in front of 40,000, 50,000 people and still get that same adrenaline rush. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad I did it and I'd love to see more Indigenous kids get involved in, in refereeing. Well, Gav, we are glad you did it as well. We love seeing you out there as part of um, the NRL, especially um, for the Indigenous round as well. Um, keep up the good work and uh, hopefully we we'll see you for a couple of years more to come. Uh, we'll see how we go. Thanks, Zach.